0: Welcome to the CareerWise Nurse Podcast. This is your place if you are launching your career as a nurse or are preparing to launch. If you're growing into your role or growing into a new role, or if you're seeking to thrive or just need a little refresh in your work as a nurse or your life as a nurse. Living your best nursing life doesn't just happen. It takes energy and dedication. On this podcast, you will have the opportunity to learn, live and love all the experiences of being a nurse. Nursing is truly an amazing journey. It's your amazing journey. It's your license, it's your career, it's your job, it's your reality, and it's your certification. It's all about you. You will get strategies and stories, inspiration, information on How to live your best life in this podcast. This is all about helping you stay fresh, energized, and making sure that you are your best self on the job and when you're off the job, when you finish that day shift or that night shift or your day is done. And this is about today, tomorrow, and your nursing future. So hang on. Thank you for being here with me on this amazing journey that we call nursing life. episode of the Career Wise Nurse Podcast. This is Natalie Dietry, your host, and I'm joined today by Meg Mindell and Camilla Taft-Hicks. We are going to talk about a book that they have published together called The Gift of Life, Aging Well, Aging Smart, and Wisdom for the Journey. This is an opportunity for nurses to appreciate the older patients that they care for in their professional roles. This is also an opportunity today for nurses to think about what their roles are in their personal lives, caregiving, because many nurses are sandwiched to caregiving for their own young family members and often for their older family members. This book will give you some perspective and become a resource for you. That's our hope. And as we go into today's show, I'm gonna have Meg start with a brief introduction. Meg, welcome.
1: Thank you, Natalie. I am Meg Mindell, and I am a licensed clinical social worker and a certified advanced social work care manager. And after many years of my role as a clinical social worker in hospice, family counseling, individual counseling, I decided to start my own company in 2003 and that was called Halcyon Elder Care. And the vision and focus of that company was both on geriatric care management, which today is called aging life care professionals, and counseling um, for caregivers and individuals and groups. So thank you so much for having me here today. And I'm gonna pass it on to Camilla.
2: Hi, everyone. It's so nice to be here. I'm Camilla Taft Hicks. And I met Meg through the process of discovering a manuscript my aunt had wrote. My aunt, Martha Henderson, studied and became uh, a geriatric nurse practitioner, and she was also a doctor of theology. She really poured her whole life into this pioneering work of uh, -of end-of-life care and helping people through the process looking at some of the cultural impediments that make death difficult in our culture these years. And what could she in her role do to promote the more understanding and support for families and for um, people who are in in their end of life years?
0: Thank you, Meg and Camilla, for telling us why this work matters to you and what drove your passion to put it out there in a published book an international bestseller, that people can use as a resource, whether it's for themselves or for their those closest to them who may benefit. So Camilla and I go back quite a few years in our children's school. And when we met each other at a graduation party in June, she told me about this book. And I was immediately in awe because I have been a caregiver in 2020 during COVID. and This would have really helped me. I right away took the book that Camilla generously shared with me and took it to Arizona to visit my mother when I visited my mother. And I said, Mom, okay, let's go through this chapter. Where are you? And I probably wasn't delicate enough, but I saw the pandemic did to someone older and someone that was looking to sort of downsize or simplify their life, and my mother. And I thought, this is a tool that she can use. I also looked for a local aging life care manager, Meg, because I had success um, navigating some of the decisions I made for my father in 2020 with the support of an aging life care manager who was a nurse who worked collaboratively with other disciplines like social work to help families have the best possible experience they can in caregiving for someone, whether it's in the case of dementia or other conditions. So, you know, shout out to Aging Life Care Managers. It's an amazing uh, field that has interested me for several years, especially when I needed support. But the book um, also, it says the age ranges from 55 to 75 years old. Is that right? 75 is at the end? Well, so I like that it's not just for, quote, old people, because there's a lot of things to think about as our lives change from raising little kids and raising teenagers and seeing our young adult children go out into the world And how we shift our priorities and plan for our future in good health and in times when we are in the later years of our life. It takes time to get there. So your book is a resource and I feel compelled to want to share it with everyone. If I don't buy them a copy, I'm telling them about it Mm -hmm. and how it might be a great resource when they look at what's going on around them in their personal and professional lives. So I, um, with me saying all that, I just want to ask Meg, to tell us a little bit about how you think this book will um, help people who are in their professional lives facing older people all the time, who are often not well when you look at how you interact how we interact with them in healthcare.
1: So I think it'll help professionals in their personal and professional lives. It gives them information and resources on how to care for a patient, whether it is in a professional environment or it's your own loved one. And that could be physically, socially, spiritually, emotionally, and it covers all of the different pieces of the pie. And it doesn't just focus on the physical, the tasks at hand, it's looking at the person as a whole. And that is so important to look at all aspects. And aging is hard. And chronic illness is difficult. And there's loss of independence. There's loss of control. And there's all these other elements and issues that are so important in the care, in your own relation, in caring for the person.
0: I know in the book that Martha, in Martha's manuscript, She talks about living well with a chronic condition. It doesn't mean that your life has to be changed in a lot of ways, but you reflect on how things might have to change when you have a condition. And Martha has a lot of stories from people, not all very, very much elderly, whose lives have been impacted and how they learn to make good out of what might seem bad to people.
2: Yeah, I'll just share um, a story that I found really meaningful, given that this is Martha's story of her own parents, as well as some of the many patients that she worked with over the years. Um, It was very special for me to read about when my own grandfather died and she was helping to facilitate the funeral my grandmother had advanced Alzheimer's at that point, and it was really not appropriate for her to be around people, at least based on her earlier experiences socially. And she just was not able to interact. And, but my aunt felt it would be really important for her to be around these loved, people, loved ones who gathered to celebrate her husband's life. Um, my mother on the other hand, really did not want to have interruptions during the service. So um, here they were dealing with the death of their father, but also trying to facilitate. And this is a role that many of us can relate to. and, And professionally, as well as personally, we just feel that these are the kinds of stories that can help. So what was the outcome? They worked with a social worker and a nurse who got together to talk about what were some ideas What could be done to compromise and make everyone happy in this situation? And they agreed to have a short service with my grandmother's favorite hymns before anyone else arrived at the church. And then there was a place she could go and wait and have a caretaker with her so that she wouldn't be there for the actual funeral. But she had a very meaningful time with family to reflect and share and sing hymns that she loved. That was a really good example to me of how nurses can play a role in just knowing some of the creative possibilities that are out there and how they can simply help think of some of these clever interventions that might bring a lot of healing to families, as well as in their own personal journeys. I love that
0: story. And it allowed everyone to have their wishes met. And even if your grandmother didn't really realize what was happening, perhaps because of her dementia or if no matter what her reality was then for your mother and your aunt, your aunt, Martha, they were able to have what they felt was important happen in that time of mourning and closure. And I give Martha credit or, you know, that she knew what resources to, pull in perhaps so that this was not a point of contention and everyone had a positive experience. It's beautiful, but without the insight or the resources of an aging life care professional or someone that works in this type of role, it often leaves people with bad feelings and bad memories. Martha, can you reflect on that from your work?
1: So When somebody is terminally ill or there's been a death, families can have conflict, they can have disagreements. And the benefits of having an aging life care professional, a geriatric nurse practitioner, a social worker who have objective points of view, and they can create interventions and they can be creative and think out of the box because. When it's your own family member or your own loved one, you are in the woods and it is very difficult because we are attached emotionally in that emotional space to see beyond. So to have those people as part of your team is really important.
2: Thank you. Meg and I were just speaking earlier about how, you know, when we're the children or the grandchildren, we go through this experience maybe just once or twice, and maybe we support our spouse, but to have insight from really focusing, focusing with the professional expertise as Meg brings to this from so many years, it's, um, it is truly a gift because then we're able to see the advantages of end of life, and even to embrace some of those as we start to get older. I'll just share one other story that I thought was um, really impactful and one that brought Martha into this field was when she was a young nurse and working at San Francisco General Hospital. And she had just been speaking with a patient who was elderly in her nineties, and she was so ready to die. She told Martha that. And again, as nurses, you know these are the kinds of conversations that we get the honor. We I'm not a nurse, but I respect nurses so much. So um, when when the woman coded and the doctor came in ready to you know revive her, it was just it was a heartbreaking tragedy that Martha was right in the middle of, and this was a big part of her motivation to kind of go down this road and become an advocate for end of life she knew that this was not the best thing for the patient and so that really put her on the road and it and it shows me what when we're advocates and when we're passionate just how much we can accomplish and nurses are advocates
0: certainly when they're in that moment and the patient is declining or the patient is very sick and i think of the hospital a lot when i talk about nursing experiences and people are there because they're very ill if they weren't very ill, they wouldn't be there. They'd be at home, but they're there. And the family comes in, they don't have the full context. The doctor might be in and out or the other providers, the whole team. And the nurses and the social workers are the ones that are there. And they are there with the family on the front lines. And you, you know, you, the nurses see this more often because you're saying as family members, we don't see this very often with the mother and a father or other close family members, but the nurses and the other healthcare professionals see this all the time. So like Martha in her role, doing her work, how she was moved to do this and to pioneer her work, she really did have enough, you know, had the experience and the exposure and the skills to help people come up with the solutions to make it the best experience possible, even in a moment of shock and when things are unexpected and to see and to, to see the greater perspective and to help families understand what's going on with your stories. You, you've displayed that. When I look at the book, so I open to the table of contents and I mentioned that the book talks about living well, even with a chronic illness. So um, one of the chapters is enjoying life while caring for your health. So These topics are so important, and it's not just in that moment of critical illness that this book is relevant for people. Health Decisions for Your Future. Again, I said people have to make these decisions. Meg, tell me a little bit about, from the book, from your work, what this means for people who are not sick in the hospital or living well. How can they use this book as a resource?
1: So somebody that's not sick or living well today I think it gives them time to reflect on how I guess the courage to have difficult conversations with family members. This may be with your spouse. This may be with your parents. It may be with your aunt or your in-laws. And what are our wishes? What do we want as we age? How do we want to live as we get older? And We don't seem to talk much about it in our culture. And the book will help you ponder and think and plan and encourage you to have meaningful conversations about aging and end-of-life care. It'll encourage you to step into your values and think about what are my values? How do I want to spend my time today? Who do I want to spend my time with? How am I living?
0: And a lot is written in this book about preparing for end of life and referring to how much we spend time talking about coming into the world, the birth of a baby, there's showers of celebrations. So Camilla and Martha, with your work in this book, share with our listeners, some of the things that really resonate with you from celebrating end of life or preparing for the end of life when people are still alive, because it's an aha moment when you read in the book. That we should be talking about end of life or later in life, the later years instead of just the early years of people's lives, instead of not talking about someone being old, not talking about that there are things that are changing in their lives.
2: So one of the things that um, we see in the beginning of the book is um, is just a list of how do we want to most enjoy the time that we have? And during our aging years, there's sometimes a a tendency to just not care as much about what people think. There's opportunity to explore our values and live into them more. Maybe it means dancing or volunteering, spending time with loved ones that we may have possibly neglected over the years. So the, the healthy times that we have we're able to appreciate that is the gift of this book is to draw us into some of these stories where we realize our mortality the gift of that realization is we can be more intentional we can also and this is the last chapter of the book really goes into the spiritual aspects of end of life we might return to an earlier spirituality or we might explore a new one perhaps through a church a synagogue some meditative practices or being in nature those are some of the areas that are explored and especially looking at the wisdom literature of various faiths and this is the um, the final chapter of the book where Meg and Martha really share some of those aspects of living well and meaningfully
0: and Meg, what would you like to add about that? Because I realize you've had an integral, integral role in working with people over the years who want to prepare for death or are anticipating the death of someone very close to them.
1: I think uh, the book will give you the gift of a greater awareness, awareness of your own journey and other people's journey. And I, I want to give an example. I had a friend call me this week. She's in her sixties and she needs a hip replacement and she's having a tremendous amount of anxiety. And the root of it was she isn't sure about how to receive help. And she's not used to receiving help or assistance or asking people to give her a hand and she's not going to be able to drive. And she's the one who is usually the caregiver and giving to everyone else. And she started sobbing and it became such a great epiphany for her where she realized I need to learn how to receive. And as people age, this can be an issue. How do I receive help with grace? Because nurses, social workers, we all like to give, right? We like to give. And um, are we able to receive too? That's
0: really beautiful. And you are bringing up a really good point. When I think about a setting in my, in your neighborhood, you know, we've lived in our neighborhood for quite a while and there are older neighbors and they have lost spouses in the last few years. I went to one gentleman and I said, can I bring you a dinner? Because he's been living alone through the pandemic, despite a good connection with other neighbors who have known him a long time. I wanted to bring him a meal thinking, wow, I should have reached out a long time ago. He would have nothing to do with it. Absolutely refused. And so I didn't bring him dinner. I almost think I should have just brought him a meal and not given him the chance to refuse. But he was very proud, did very well on his own, had a little bit of family support in the area. And then the neighbors that gathered together with him on a regular basis outside during the pandemic to stay connected, help him stay connected as he lived alone. He, he didn't want to receive any, you know, anything. And I, I didn't really know how to respond to that because I really had it in my mind that he, I needed to bring him a meal. And we all sometimes are uncomfortable with getting gifts, but as you get older, your example of your friend, right? right. It's a mind shift. We have to be willing to accept help. And I've seen that in my own parents over the years. I maybe didn't go about it in the kindest, gentlest way, but we see a need. And we're not even sure how they'll respond, like my parents. Finally, I convinced my mother recently to get some extra help. And it still took her a while to accept it and to follow up. But I had the I had your book. And I said, just let some other people support you. And also I was thinking about the age and life care professional role to get me out of it so that the emotions are sort of aside, because I thought my mom's an adult. She can get someone to come in and work with her. Let's make this in a business arrangement to support her so she can do what she wants to do to live her best life now. And maybe she doesn't want kids telling her what they, she might need. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Take yeah. a
1: out of it. <laughs> I love that you said that because many people that have hired me over the years, or of my company, I say, allow yourself to be the daughter, allow yourself to be the son. So let the professionals be the caregivers and it gives you the gift of being the daughter. So you're, you're exactly right. Natalie. i am for- just make a, can
2: I just make a plug for the journal as well? We were speaking about this earlier and Meg has worked with so many families over the years. We, we crafted these questions in the journal to really capture what is it that's important to people in their later years. And, Natalie, I hope you'll be able to use it with your mother. And I think especially to have a grandchild go through the questions and write down the answers is a really beautiful opportunity for interaction. It also touches on so many of the things that we face in our later years, but without having to hire someone to walk us through the process, but just finding ways to connect with family and ourselves meaningfully that will get us ready for the future. Camilla, thanks for pointing out the resource. And it It really is
0: a tool, the journal that can be used to break things down for people who, even with this book that is abundant with resources, has sections on resources, not know where to start, right? The book is full of so many resources. And when I look at it, I just, it's a lot of information. So the journal is a great resource. So what what I'd like to do is I will be sharing the journal and the book in the show notes because we're talking about the gift of life, aging well. Aging Smart and Wisdom for the Journey, by Martha Henderson and Meg Mindell. And on this episode, we've been with Meg and Camilla Taft Hicks, who is the niece of author Martha Henderson. So we need to continue this conversation because there is a lot to talk about. What I would like to do now is have Camilla and, and Meg. Would you share a passage from the book that you feel like is? really important to share with our audience.
1: Sure. I'll start with the passage I chose. How do we begin to prepare the fact for the fact that we will we will die? There are ways to practice for dying. We all do this in a sense when we experience losses in life or little deaths. We experience losses in our own physical, emotional, social or spiritual health, such as having a severe illness or incomplete recovery. We may experience the loss of ability to care for ourselves independently, whether from a broken foot, arthritis or a stroke. We may lose loved ones or valued things such as a home. These losses, unwelcome though they are, give us opportunities to grieve and to review how well prepared we are for our big loss. In contrast, some older individuals are ready, even eager to die. Some have said to me that they have lived a good life and were looking forward to what was ahead. Just the process of aging, and especially the changes of the transition phase, can bring a new awareness of our inevitable death if we are wise, we will begin to prepare for leaving this life by making the most of every moment. This consciousness of the nearness of death is a gift and marks the beginning of special time, and it can start at any age.
0: Thank you. That's beautiful. Camilla, what would you like to share from this book?
1: So I'll be sharing an example,
2: and there are many of these throughout the books, the book of um, stories, how people face challenges, and and what their choices were. This is a story about Kathy Maylor and her mother. Kathy's an intelligent, loyal daughter who saw her mother, Mary, withdrawn and unable to talk as she lay in a mental hospital, dying of advanced dementia with a feeding tube in place. Kathy knew this was not what Mary would want. She had a living will, and her son, John, was her health care power of attorney. The family was united in wanting the feeding tube withdrawn, but the physicians would not comply with their wishes. Kathy wanted to transfer her mother to a nursing home where she would receive hospice care near Kathy's home, but hospice would not accept Mary with a feeding tube. With deep anger and frustration, Kathy sought my help through the institution's social worker who knew of my end of life work. Kathy and I were both aware that refusal to comply with the healthcare power of attorney's request was illegal, but that knowledge did not resolve the current dilemma. The medical and psychiatric physicians agreed to meet with the two daughters and me and all the siblings agreed on what their mother would want. It became apparent these physicians on a personal level sympathized with the daughters. However, they could not go against the institution's practice of not removing feeding tubes. By the end of the meeting, we had reached a compromise. As Mary Mailer left the hospital on a stretcher to go to hospice care at the nursing home, the physician withdrew the feeding tube. Thus, Kathy's mother was finally able to be moved where Kathy could visit her every day. She died a peaceful death two weeks later. So this was meaningful to me because it just presents so many of the, there are many ethical issues and there are many players involved in getting to a good death. The stories of a good death to me are every bit as powerful as a good birth. And my two children's births meant so much to me. So um I just love it that you're empowering nurses, Natalie, to, to see all the potential of their role and to be positive players in helping people transition out of this world.
0: Camilla, thank you. When you read this passage, this example, I think about all the people running in and out of a hospital room to try to transfer the patient to a more peaceful place to be at end of life. I can just picture the case manager coming in who could be a nurse or a social worker, you know, the doctor who's on service in the hospital on call, you know, all the different people that might be coming in and they're trying to come up with a plan. It it takes a lot of energy a lot of time and often there is not a lot of time or the family like Mary in this example doesn't want to spend that time at the hospital. They want to honor the wishes of the individual who's the patient. I just see a million pictures flash through my head. as I did as you read that because I've seen it a lot and it's still like that from the time when I've recently been working in the hospital. We hope to get better at that with practice And that's another reason why nurses having the awareness of what this book offers and other members of the caregiving team, the medical team, the social work team, everybody coming together and working with the family. It's an ongoing role and responsibility of those working with the patient, and it falls a lot on nurses and social work to do that. I really appreciate both of you sharing and I would like to continue this conversation in the near future to talk about how nurses can make a difference, Meg, from your point of view in that aging life care role inside the hospital or out of the hospital. And Camilla, I appreciate um, if you would come back again to share a little bit more about the pioneering work of your Aunt Martha. So let's continue this, but for now I say thank you so much for joining us today on the Career Wise Nurse podcast and for sharing this book, The Gift of Life, Aging Well, Aging Smart and Wisdom for the Journey. I'll be sure to make sure that all the listeners can find the book and the journal um, through the show
1: notes. It's been a pleasure sharing with you. Thank you so much, Natalie. Yes, it's been a total pleasure. And thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Meg and Camilla. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Connect today with the Careerwise Nurse podcast community. Do this by emailing belong at careerwisenurse.com. That's B E L O N G at careerwisenurse.com. Join the Careerwise Nurse Facebook group. A link is provided at the bottom of the page. Leave a review for this podcast. Scroll past the episodes where you will see write a review. I read every review because I want to know what you think what you want to know, who you want to meet to help you live your best nursing life. Tap on the stars to rate this podcast. Thank you. Talk to you soon.